Hey, this is Sandra. This is Jess. And this is Emily. And you are listening to Town Meeting, a Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the bits for Keg Max. Keg Max. Uh, yeah. Last week was a long episode. It was. Let's, and let's hope this episode's a little lighter. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what references you Not guys have. so dark. <laughs> but before we get into references or any of that stuff, we need to talk about a summary. I believe it's Jess. It is me. You ready? Yes. All right. Count me in. Three, two, one, Go. The girls are lost without Friday night dinners, but the Gilmore's party on. Lorelai wants Lorelai gets a threatening booster club summons and runs into Max, who asks her to leave him alone. Lane's band has a gig at Kyle's party, but doesn't have a name. Rory and Jess make prom plans, but Jess flunked out of school and can't get tickets. The inn is still being repaired. Luke's got a nice butt. Papa and Chin Chin. Every teen in Stars Hollow attends Kyle's party. Chaos ensues. Luke and Nicole stay at the inn. Lorelai is awkward. Dave's parents patience runs thin. Lane gets drunk and calls her mom. Jess and Dean finally fight after Rory cries. Yeah. Like five seconds left. Mm-hmm. That's like the second time you've done that, too. You're doing I, great. Way to go. <laughs> Thank you. You really don't want to sing again. I'm trying you? so hard. <laughs> Actually, Good what is it? Job. Is tasting... What is I it? suggested don't, that she eat eggs. Ah, uh, that's the one. But eat Jess eggs. does not like eggs, and I don't I'm want really to trying not to eat that eggs. much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I will say I had slightly different wording on the last couple of sentences, but I knew that if I tried to jumble my way through all of those vowels and consonants, it wouldn't happen. But mm. yes, no, you I think I covered up. everything. I even got Papa and Chin Chin in there. You did. <laughs> I always yeah. kind of wonder, like, every once they do start to really show up at the Dragonfly, mm-hmm. um, it's like, when did he get those? Because it feels like such a small small little moment in this episode when it's mentioned that you just kind of forget about it for a while yeah well i mean it's like suki's pregnancy it ha- it's yeah. there and then a couple episodes ago it's like oh she's pregnant and luke's like you're pregnant like yeah these things happen in the background <laughs> anyway congratulations to me love to succeed um <laughs> and uh let's start off with this week's references from sandra Okay, so for references this week, I figured we can focus on some quick fire uh, ones all based on music. 
It's a music-heavy episode, especially with the band playing. So starting off with the band, uh, they played two songs. The first one being Fell in Love with a Girl by the White Stripes. And the second one being White Riot by The Clash. Um, now, I'm not going to go too into them because Emily is going to talk about at least one of them. One of them. Yeah, in the next section. So let's move on. Um, but also mentioned in this episode is Michelle Branch, who got slewed by Jess. <laughs> I'm sorry. I loved Michelle Branch in she high school. She was great. Yeah. She had some bangers. Uh, Everywhere was a great song. All You Wanted. Great song. Um, she's also a part of the band The Wreckers, um, and she was actually on One Tree Hill, and it was awesome <laughs> while she was on there. Um, another reference, Rory mentioned Springsteen. I'm from New Jersey. I have to point out anytime anyone mentions the boss, it's the law here. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Um, Zach mentions John Entwistle. Entwistle? I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, who was the bassist for the rock band The Who. And he's mentioned when Brian is freaking out and Zach says, don't forget that the hair and fingernails on his body were still growing when they brought in his replacement. So at this point in the show, it's 2003, right? Um, John died on the 27th of June, 2002. And he was replaced by Pino Palladino, no relation, um, on July 1st. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So four days. That four took days. no time. I mean, the show no. must go on, right? Basically. Um, my next musical reference is Millie Vanilli, who <laughs> is mentioned by Dave. And these two, if you haven't heard of them, they were, they were something. Um, and there was drama there, right? There, there was so much drama. Yeah. They were a German-French R&B duo who were very popular in the 80s and 90s, sold millions of records, won a Grammy for Best New Artist, and then they discovered they never were actually singing. It was all lip-singing. Someone else sang the songs. They were just pretending the entire time. They had to give back their Grammy. <laughs> it was a whole thing. Um, my last musical quickfire reference is... When Lorelai asked Luke if he's getting sleep when she's roasting him about the pictures she took, um, she goes, um, are you sure you're getting sleep? Because that's 40 miles of bad road. So 40 miles of bad road is a song by Duane Eady, who says the title came about when he and his producer Lee Hazelwood were waiting in line to buy movie tickets. They overheard two guys in front of them discussing a blind date that one of them had just gone on. One asked the other as to how the blind date went, and his friend replied that it was okay, but the girl had a face that looked like 40 miles of bad road. Ouch. Mean. Yeah. And they, Duane and Lee, uh, overhearing this, they were like, this is the perfect title for our record, right? Um, it is very mean. I We kind of said that it was an unjust roasting, right? And mm -hmm. oh, she yeah. referenced an unjust roasting as well. Um, but it is technically a musical reference. But other than that, just a short little references this week. Um, listen to The Clash. They're great. But first, we have to talk about The White Stripes with Emily. Books. And music with Emily. With Emily. 
guys listen to the white stripes do you i was not cool enough to listen to the white stripes but i remember the drama i'll get there okay (laughs) okay assume assuming it's the same drama okay okay i remember so as Sandra mentioned, the first song we hear the ba- the band sing at the party is Fell in Love with a Girl by the White Stripes. Mm-hmm. They were formed in 1997 by Jack and Meg White. They are they were both from Detroit. They met at the restaurant where Meg worked and Jack read his poetry on open mic nights. They dated for several years, got married in 1996 with Jack taking Meg's last name, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, but they ultimately divorced in 2000. Uh, this might be the drama you're referring to, Sandra. So for the majority of the band of their career, they told everybody they were brother and sister. Yeah. And it wasn't until 2001 when proof of their marriage and divorce came out that it sparked a little bit of drama, I guess. Yikes. Um, and they did actually continue to insist that they are brother and sister through at least 2005, where Jack said, it, at this point, is just an open secret. It's meant to keep the focus on the band and the music and away from their relationship. I don't I know mean... if I could do a band with my ex and then be like, yeah, we have the same last <laughs> name because we're siblings. So, I mean, reading about them and kind of like what the band went through just makes me feel like they're both cool people Mm -hmm. and there wasn't like any big drama in the divorce. It just wasn't what they wanted anymore. At least that's what it felt like. Nothing is specified. But Jack started playing in bands in like 1994 as the drummer. The band formed when Meg started learning to play on his kit just kind of as a joke and they both loved the feel of her on the drums. They said it felt liberating and refreshing and they had their first performance in 1997 as part of the underground rock scene pretty quickly actually they were approached by the owner of an indie record label indie italy records a garage punk label to record a single they originally declined thinking that they were going to have to uh, pay to do the single and then decided to do it when the guy from the record was like no we'll pay for it you guys do the single (laughs) Mm-hmm. And so that's where Let's Shake Hands came from. And then later that year, they also recorded Lafayette Blues, both released on vinyls with only a thousand copies printed each. As you can imagine, those are very hard to find. I'm oh, sure yeah. they're super expensive. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, in 1999, they were officially signed with a label called Sympathy for the Record Industry, and they released the single The Big Three Killed My, ba- Killed My Baby. Which, great song. I know it's got a weird, it's it's Jack White, but it's got a weird name, but it's a good song. Me and Justice um, made such faces. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then in June of that year, they released their self-titled album. So in 2000, after Jack and Meg divorced, uh, Jack assumed the band was over. He recruited two people. Um a friend and his cousin to play a show that they had already booked but i guess meg showed up day of and she's like no let's do this like mm-hmm. let's continue with the band we can make this great it doesn't have to end and so they went on and their next album was day Stigel. it's dutch for the style hmm. i am sorry if i butchered that but it was self-recorded on an eight-track analog tape in Jack's living room and released under the same sympathy label there. 
It reached number 38 on Billboard magazine's independent albums chart in 2002, and a New York Times critic at the time said they typified what many hip rock fans consider real music. Hmm, I think Jess would probably agree. Pretentious, but okay, cool, cool. Honestly, what turns into Hep Alien and the White Stripes, they, they, they feel a lot alike. Mm. They have a very similar sound. But their next album, White Blood Cells, released in 2001, that is the album Fell in Love with a Girl is on. Uh, and it was kind of their breakout album. It drew a bunch of critical acclaim in the UK and the US, making them one of the most acclaimed bands of 2002. Daily Mirror called them the greatest band since the Sex, Pic- since the Sex Pistols, which is actually very impressive. And a New York Times critic said they have made rock rock again. Uh, they did a Lego animation for the music video, which is super freaking cool. That's awesome. I always thought they were really cool, and I just mm-hmm. wasn't cool enough to listen to them. <laughs> I mean, I get that. <laughs> the video itself won three awards at the MTV Video Music Awards and was nominated for Video of the Year. Nice. Rumor, and I, can, I, I can't say where I read this. I remember reading it a long time ago. That when they did this video, Jack reached out to Lego to try to get little Lego miniatures of him and Meg. And Lego was like, yeah, no, we're not into that, no. And so they did the video as was. And it got huge. And Lego came back and was like, hey, we want to do those now. And Jack was feeling petty. He's like, nah, I don't want it. (laughs) Made me laugh. Uh, Again, cannot confirm. I read it somewhere. It may or may not have happened. In 2003, they released the album Elephant. And this is where I first learned about them. I think, I feel like I remember seeing the music video for Fell in Love with a Girl before this, but I timeline's weird in my head. But this is when Seven Nation Army came out. Oh, if you hear okay. the beginning of Seven Nation Army, if you don't know that song, it's because I'm old. But it was a very big song. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was, was very popular. Very, it's a very big song with a very specific opening riff and opening, like, the, the riffs played throughout the song. If you hear it, you know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, on that album was also the hardest button to button. There's no home for you. And they did a cover of Burt Bacharach's I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself. Uh, and that album won a Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album. And Seven Nation Army won a Grammy for Best Rock Song. In 2005, they released Get Behind Me, Satan, with the singles Blue Orchid, My, Dorna, My Doorbell, and The Denial Twist. And while it did have a little bit of a different sound, it still won another Grammy for Best Alt Music Album in 2006. And Rolling Stone ranked them in their third best album of the year. Their third and ultimately last album, Icky Thump, was released in 2007 under Warner Brothers Records, with the first single being Icky Thump, and then You Don't Know What Love Is, You Just Do As You're Told, and Conquest. They went on a massive tour across Canada and the U.S. About halfway through the U.S. tour, what ended up being their last show, I guess Meg approached Jack and was like, this is the last concert for the White Stripes. Oh, wow. Like, wow. night of. Due to some actually very severe and acute anxiety that she'd been battling. So they ended up canceling the remaining of the 18 tour dates and a UK tour as well. What's interesting is they refused to ever interview apart. Hmm. They refused to be indivi- uh, interviewed individually. They seem to really stand by each other as friends, as former spouses, whatever. Um, you can tell whenever they talk about each other, there is just a massive amount of respect there. And I appreciate that. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like you don't always hear about that in the music industry. Yeah. And then while Jack 
did tease a new White Stripes album in 2009. Ultimately, that never happened. In 2011, they officially announced that they have stopped recording and performing music together. Jack said the reason is mostly to preserve what is beautiful and special about the band, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah. I think they've both remarried. I think I also heard that Meg was maid of honor for Jack in his second Aww, marriage, in his second wedding. Uh, so if, if, it seems like they're still really good friends. Um, I will also throw a future reference out there when Lane ends up getting married. One of their, one of the pictures they have of them at the wedding is them recreating one of the White Stripes album. And I'm pretty sure it's Elephant that they are recreating. Ooh. Ooh. So this is not the first nor the last time. Yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? Is it their first song that they ever played together? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not Dave, but it's Zach. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah, that was the White Stripes with Jack and Meg White. After that, we have Fashion with Jess. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Making fashion choices, making fashion choices, making fashion choices with Jess. All right. For fashion today, I'm doing something out of the norm. As I said in previous fashion segments, uh, if I can do a deep dive into a specific brand or item, I will. Uh, a lot of the time, the clothing is rather nondescript, uh, and it's hard to determine who it's by, or, because early 2000s internet was a different beast to today. So I'm going to be talking about what I will always think of as the hat outfit. Lorelai wears a lot of hats throughout Gilmore Girls, but I think there is one outfit that everybody sees and just goes, what? And it's the outfit she wears when she's walking with Suki. She's wearing her pink hoodie. She's wearing a pink floral button-up shirt. And she's wearing a hat. A kind of cap of sorts. Um, and it's just, it's it's like a golf hat. It's very evocative of like a grandpa Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like such a this strange hat has a name. It does, and I have I have a deep dive into it. Okay, so I'm today going to tell you the history of the hat, how we got to this point where Lorelai Gilmore is walking down the streets of Stars Hollow wearing a hat. This hat is by the brand Kangol, uh, which is a British clothing company that was actually founded in. 1983 by Jacques Spray Um, And the name, Kangol, comes from a combination of the materials used in their work. The K 
This is wild. The K comes from silk. The uh-huh. ang comes from angora. And the ol comes from wool. <laughs> so it's a combination of silk, angora, and wool. And apparently kangle was the best they could come up with. Just reminds me how Insync got their name. <laughs> so uh, the company has no ties to Australia, unlike their kangaroo logo suggests. The logo was actually adopted. Um, and the thing is, the the company as we know it, it was founded in 83. The, the history of the company, I think, is much older. But the kangaroo logo was adopted because Americans were frequently requesting the kangaroo hat. Because Americans <laughs> couldn't get Kangol and Kangaroo separate. Um, Kangol was the major supplier of berets to the armed forces in World War II and also provided hats for the British Olympic team in 1948. Uh, famous Kangol wearers include the Beatles, Arnold Palmer, the golfer, uh, Princess Diana was seen sporting Kangol. In the 1980s, the brand became more popular with hip- the hip-hop community and could be seen on Grandmaster Flash, Run DMC, LL Cool J, Slick Rick, who also mentioned the brand in multiple songs, The Notorious B.I.G., and even Kangol Kid of the group UTFO. Wonder how he got that nickname. Um, in 2009, Eminem wore a Kangol hat in his uh, video for the song Beautiful. Samuel L. Jackson is known to this day for wearing oh, yeah. Kangol hats. Steve Carell wore a Kangol hat on the infamous Happy Hour episode of The Office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a further Google search, I could find celebrities like Nicole Kidman, Brad Pitt, Tyra Banks, Adrian Brody, all sporting these hats. The biggest celebrity you could add to this name or to this list, my father-in-law wears these <laughs> right? hats all the time. <laughs> my grandpa also have, used to wear these. <laughs> right? It's a very grandpa look. And the thing is, they also sell like a bucket hat style. They sell a bunch of different styles. So a lot of these people were not wearing this exact style. A lot of them were wearing the bucket hat. Princess Diana's was honestly more of like a little sailor cap. Adorable. Mm. Today, the brand has kind of a split image because it represents both this high-quality British heritage brand that has ties to, obviously, World War II, um, but it can also be found in discount sports stores in the United Kingdom. Uh, My best guess for Lorelai's cap would be um, their Seamless Wool 507 in a, a color called Light Flannel, which is not currently available. If you wanted to own the closest thing available to Lorelai's hat, I would recommend the Seamless Wool 507 in the color Nickel, which is kind of a beigey gray, and it could be yours for the low price of 68 US dollars. So, all this to say, the hat that Lorelai is wearing in this scene that makes her look like a dorky grandpa has very cool associations, right? When I found that picture of Nicole Kidman, she looks pretty stylish in it. When I found the picture of Tyra Banks, she also looks pretty stylish in it. The difference here is that Lorelai is wearing a much less, um, like, R&B, hip-hop-inspired outfit. She is wearing kind of a grandma outfit. And it really, it really tones down the potential cool factor of the hat. 
Obviously, her scene partner here, Suki, is not wearing the coolest outfit either. This is one of those Suki outfits that kind of haunts me, because I'm always saying, oh, I love Suki's cool, kooky clothing. And then she shows up in something like this. She's got this red camisole under this wrap lace top and, like, the shabbiest knit crocheted sweater. When we see the back of her at one point, you can literally see holes in the sweater. <laughs> so it's just, like, it's rough. What made me laugh is when I watched this episode, I thought to myself, Jess is either going to want the sweater or she's going to hate it. I really I don't know which. <laughs> I don't love that sweater, but... I just thought there is a reason why the costume department put this specific hat on Lorelai's head, and I was like, I need to know everything about this brand. So, really, she is wearing something that completely works with her interests. She's probably into hip-hop artists. She knows what's going on. So, yeah, that is why Lorelai Gilmore is wearing a Kangol cap in Keg Max. For better or for worse, it is one of the most memorable outfits in Gilmore history, uh, and hopefully you know a little bit more about the brand than you did prior. <laughs> I definitely learned a lot. Um, the name, I, I can't remember what the for hat example. Was um, can I just say it, it doesn't look very good? No, it's it's not a great look. Um, but I, I think she would look so much better without the hat because like you can see her hair well, yes. it's got pulled <laughs> back we into just the got yeah. rid of it. she's got a low ponytail which we don't see on her very often yeah it's like it's it's a real outfit misstep it's one of those things what, what was it um who was it that said you know look in the mirror after you get ready and take off one accessory and then you're good Lorelai <laughs> needs Miss to Aline say that i think it's like uh it's some like it's like Coco Chanel said that. Mm-hmm. Um, Lorelai needs to learn that and internalize that because a number of times it's like, girl, just take that one accessory <laughs> off. Do you think she would have looked better if her hair was down? Um, yes, that was out? the thing. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman and Tyra Banks in the photos I found where they were wearing this style of hat, their hair is down and it shifts. It shifts it a little bit. It makes it more beret styled, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like grandpa on the golf course yeah they're all wearing it down hillary duff jennifer aniston and i mean it's still it's still an active brand there are still people wearing it to this day obviously samuel jackson is a great example of somebody who i think he originally maybe wore it or he wore it as a character in one of his films and it's just like part of his identity now which cool yeah if you find something that works keep doing it he's in so many capital one commercials wearing that hat (laughs) but he is also a grandpa like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, so that Don't was... say anything bad about Samuel Jackson. He's amazing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a grandpa. I'm just saying he's not young. <laughs> and obviously, there were other outfits in this episode. Honestly, there were a lot of outfits in this episode. Lots of extras. Lots of commotion. If there was anything either of you really loved or really hated, we can talk about it. What did you think of Rory's party outfit? Yeah, I, I actually really liked it. Yeah. I, like I liked it's like a purple velvet or a corduroy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really I, I really like her liked shirt it. really interesting. You don't see it very well because she's only wearing it for like a minute before she puts her jacket on and then you just kind of see the middle of it. But it looks like she might be wearing two. It comes down and it ties across the top of the chest and then it comes down and actually into like a V-neck type. And then there's like a, it looks like there's a camisole or something underneath it. Oh, yeah. Because it's like a really deep cut. Uh, yeah. This is a very deep cut. 
It's really, um, I think the colors on her are great. Like the mm-hmm. deep purple maroony kind of jacket and the light purple shirt. I think she looks cool. I think it works with her very confident vibe throughout the party. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And Lane's ba- uh, yes. concert. Lane's uh, got the red plaid skirt. She's got a hoodie on. I think she has either it's part of the hoodie or it's like arm warmers, like red and black arm warmers. She honestly looks like she stepped right out of like a Hot Topic, which is really perfect for Lane's like band persona. Um, I love that Brian looks like he's in the 70s yeah. with his shirt. Um, but, you know, it works for him. It's mm-hmm. fine. It works for the hyperventilating bassist. Yeah. Yeah. It matches. <laughs> but yeah, that was fashion for Keg Max. And after fashion, we have Stars Hollow Speaks. La 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 A few quick comments read by Editing Jess today. Sylvia in LA said, one of my favorites. Sam Skeddy said, if only Dean minded his own girlfriend, Jess would have caught up with Rory and talked to her. Oh my gosh, somebody write me that fanfic. And Alba Daydreams said, it is truly a defining episode for Gilmore Girls. The ramifications of the events of this party are felt seasons later. So true. This is one of those episodes that carries a lot of weight, uh, as we discussed last week. Thanks for your comments, and let's finish up this episode. Okay, so why don't we end the episode with coffee, as we do. Um, guys, there wasn't too much coffee. As far as I could tell, the only time they kind of had coffee was when they went to Luke's. Now, the mugs were already there, but they were sitting down to eat. There was no coffee poured. No one drank coffee. Are we counting it? I mean, if there's no on-screen drink, no count, right? Yeah. So, technically, zero. Zero for Lorelai, zero for Rory. Maybe that's why this episode was so off. No coffee. No coffee. One and a half beers for Lane. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The beer count is too high this up. It's higher than anything else this episode. (laughs) Um, But that... That was the bits for Keg Max. Goodbye, Max. Yeah. It's been fun knowing you. Good luck, buddy. We yeah. gave you a, a, good guy. a nice send-off last episode. <laughs> um, but as always, I was Sandra. And I was Emily. And I was Jess. And we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Town Meeting, a Gilmore Girls Rewatch podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter at Town Meeting Pod. Or if you'd like to send us an email, send it to townmeetingpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to toss us a couple bucks and support the podcast, find us on buymeacoffee.com slash townmeeting.